Taylor Walker from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Shannon Hearn from the West Coast Eagles. This is Nathan Jones from the Melbourne Football Club. Phil Davis from the GRS Giants. It's Brad Ebert from the Port Adelaide Football Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. My friend, you're around about one week away from the start of the 2019 AFL season, and that means for fantasy coaches, your days, weeks, months of planning and preparation are about to start to potentially pay off with the first lockout just over a week away from Carlton taking on Richmond. That always fantastic game. If you're a Richmond fan, because you know you get simple four points. Uh, let's talk plenty of fantasy football across all of your formats. I've got a couple of the panel. I've got Rids on. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very well, mate. Thank God those practice games are done. <laughs> I'm keen to get your thoughts on some of these practice games and JLT matches, helping fantasy coaches. I've got Ben on. Hello, buddy. How are you? Hey, mate, going very well. Looking at, excited tonight, and I'd just like to say I had the highest-scoring JLT team of all time. I think I just won the car. Yeah, oh, well, well done, mate. I hope you enjoy the JLT fantasy football car. So um, congratulations on like Look, there, there is plenty of stuff I want to talk about in a few moments. I want to get both of your lads' reflections on the JLT series and how as a fantasy football community, whether you play uh, your keeper leagues, uh, your single-season drafts, Fantasy, Dream Team, Supercoach, whatever it is. I want to get your thoughts on that in a second. Some players that caught your eye, some trends you're noticing amongst the fantasy community. I want to talk mid-prices and structures and how far maybe is there a limit that's too far. Get some rucks and then our Patreons have some questions. If you want to get your questions in, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash coaches panel. All right, so we've seen around about 18 games of AFL in the past two and a half to three weeks in the JLT Community Series. And, Ben, it happens every single year where people enter into the JLT Series with sides that are, quote, locked and loaded. And then before one game's even finished, they've tinkered with it three or four times to get a player. And they've probably done and repeated that process 50 times over. And now the side looks nothing like what it did. We just chop and change every single game in the JLT series, don't we? That's it, mate. Um, Let's break it down. So we played two rounds of meaningless football. Um, Clubs did not really care whether they won or lost. Oh, come on. Carlton cared. Carlton really cared. And I was just about to lead into that. In fact, the clubs that did care, um, they're probably the the most concerning clubs in the league. So... (laughs) You probably want to be a little bit concerned if you go for a club that actually was even remotely enjoying a, a JLT victory. Um, shout out to Carlton there. So, um, <laughs> what about um, St Kilda, who sung their song? Oh, that's true. Oh, that's <laughs> oh my god. Um, and secondly, so you've got you've got that element where the the win does not matter. Secondly, the coaches are trying different things. Yeah, constantly they're looking. They're looking at these games and they're thinking, um, "Hey, maybe you know what? Maybe um, we'll throw our key defender into the forward line because he said he likes to play forward and he might just be the guy that we need." Or, "Hey, let's throw the guy that's been a key defender as our ruckman." Or, "Hey, let's do X, Y, Z because we can because nothing will hurt us. We can lose by hundred points in the JLT series." There's barely going to be a, a negative comment written about us in the press. So there's there's really a lot of garbage goes on, a lot of stuff that we will not see happen in the regular season. That's why I, I think I've said in a couple of um, 
write-ups I've done for the coaches panel take the game with a grain of salt. I mean, mm. the, the other thing we've got to really be thinking about, which I, I don't think is touched on nearly enough, is that these games, a lot of these games are getting played in near 35-degree heat. Yeah. It, is so, it is so useless and meaningless for um, a player to play in such conditions because they're just not representative of the real season. Um, the only thing I'm going to take away from that is that someone who finishes the last 10 minutes of the game might uh, have improved their running capacity. But then on the flip side, I don't know how hard they were going at the start of the match. So yeah. it's, a real, it's really, really difficult to take anything out of these games. And the, the lead-off point to that is the fact that we are seeing ownership change dramatically. So we were talking a little bit just before we got on air. Cornelio's gone up extraordinary um, ownership-wise. We've seen Angus Brayshaw go up ex- extraordinarily ownership-wise. I'm sure Tom Rockliffe would have gone up a fair amount up to the weekend. Those are three guys that, look, there's every reason and rationale to pick them, but should their ownership have changed so drastically after a couple of meaningless games? I, I reckon probably not. Uh, I'm intrigued, uh, Rids, to get your thoughts kind of tagging onto that. Are we as the fantasy football community, are we misreading, or maybe not misreading, are we reading too much into the JLT community series and not looking for, I guess, the tried and true methodologies of things like if a premium plays at all, that's all you need to see, not do they score well? Do they rack up a certain time on grounds, points per minute? Uh, do we get try to get too cute as a fantasy footy community? What's your take on that? Yes. That's it. Yes. <laughs> so I look. We can look at it in many ways. Okay. I look at the off season in the AFL like that guy that goes out every weekend looking to pick up Rodio, and after two or three years, he finally gets a girl that wigs at him, and suddenly he's interested. He's happy. He's lucky. He's changing things. He's doing this. He's doing that. At the end of the day, you care too much about something that's not going to happen. Yeah. JLT is just a practice game. The end. Simple. Like, I, I don't get it. If your premium plays in the practice game, happy days. That's all you need to know. You don't want your premium scoring 140 because you know what happens at round one? We all start on zero. Yeah. Why are we picking a guy that got 140 last week in the practice game? doesn't matter. No, well, it does because it might actually highlight that he actually had 40 disposals and he might get a tag. Yeah. Remember Chris Yaron many, oh, many years gosh. ago? Heretio he went on the half-back line. Half-back line dominated. Oh, my God, Chris Yaron. Oh, look how quick he is. Look how he's using the ball. Oh, he's damaging teams. Three games he played that preseason. He was best on ground every one. Everyone jumped on. 30, yes. 40% ownership of Chris Yaron because he was only 250,000. And... Suddenly he averaged, what, 30? Because he got a tag every week. It's so, 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 so silly. So what's the difference um, for both of you? Feel free to jump in on this one. What's the difference between reactionary response as opposed to 
seeing enough to give you the confidence to make a, a selection. So using a couple of players that you've kind of mentioned there, an Angus Brasher or Stephen Cornelio have gone from, you know, single digits now into the 20s in, in Dream Team and Fantasy and not maybe not as high in Supercoach, but certainly have jumped in a percentage, you know, and even then maybe contrast that to say a Tom Rockliffe who just purely for AFL Fantasy went from like 2% ownership at the start of the weekend. I think he's now at like 14 or 15%. Is it different with a mid-price guy in, in composed to, or not composed, in opposed to a, a premium? Or, or is it faulty logic or the same logic with both? Well, I'll just make a fair po- I'll make a point here that I think is going to, it's going to be very difficult to answer this one, honestly. So I think a few biases come into this situation. So what I, what I would say is, Stephen Canelio, was he in your plans at any stage in the preseason prior to the JLT series to own him, even at the start of the uh, even at the start of the fantasy season or during the, the season? Why did those Why did those opinions change? Mm. So potentially, I'm looking at someone like Canelio, and I'm like, you know what? He had a great season. I don't think he's going to improve. I see him as an upgrade target. I don't really know about GWS's draw, to be honest, but let's say his draw is better after the buy round. It's better after five, but sure. In, yep, yep. So I've, I've, I've come in with an idea of, okay, I'm going to upgrade to Canelio or I'm going to upgrade to Josh Kelly because mm. I think that they're going to drop. They're going to have a, a few tag games. Now, what has really changed, um, for my opinion, to change so drastically? Um, and what what's... What's really the correct opinion here? Something that I'm basing off a really sort of logic-based driver. So I've, I've looked at the draw. I've looked at potential tags. I've looked at who the best taggers in the game are. I've decided that Josh Kelly or Stephen Cornelio is someone who I think is going to get a tag. Mm. Why, why do I then look at a couple of JLT, JLT games and he's gotten 40 touches in both games and think, oh, he's going to do a lot better because they're, they're really not representative. I mean, in the case of Stephen Cornelio, Josh Kelly hasn't even been around. So um, surely he takes some of the ball. Just, there are so many elements that make me think, you know what, maybe I should listen to the one that was a little bit more rational at the beginning. But mm. like I said, it's so, it's so difficult to actually nut down to that point because um, MJ, humans are irrational people and um, irrational people are very difficult to ever bring back to the rational side. Yeah, that's fair. So Betty will, um, me and Betty had a chat. This is going back about maybe four or five weeks ago. Anyways, we are talking about guys who we thought would, you know, be right up the top, like top tier of their lines sure. at a very low percentage. At that point in time, I believe Coniglio was... 2% ownership in DT, and Benny and I both went, oh, that's nuts. He's going to finish in the top three or four comfortably mm. on averages in DT. He's 21% now. Like Now, I don't know. <laughs> like, Yes, he went well in the JLT, but that shouldn't have any bearing whether you had, like, I just don't understand. Like, did we forget his season last year? Mm. Or... Did we even look at his scores last year? Are we just basing it off that? Have we even looked at the drawers that he was saying? Like, mm. it's just really, really nuts. Like, I mean, guys like Oliver a couple of weeks ago, okay, when we put up a poll with Oliver and Cripps, people were saying, oh, his shoulders, his shoulders, his shoulders. Hey, guys, 
He played with two broken shoulders last year and averaged 110 in AFL Fantasy in Dream Team. Shouldn't he be better? Mm. You, you know what I mean? And yeah, like yeah. Straight away, MJ, we had that discussion about, well, it was his shoulders. So he's done all the running. They cut out sugar. He's been on this. He's been on that. He's done all the training loads. He should be good to yeah. go. Better like, than good, yeah. It's just, yeah. It was all planned. Everything went to the plan. He's played two JLTs. And he's... And the other thing was he absolutely ran through that tag last week, mm. you know. So I get confused because it's like we're seeing the wrong thing. We're looking at scores rather than the actual what's happening in the game. Now, Zach Meritake scored a 58 or something in Dream Team last week. Yeah, in about half a game. JLT. Yeah. yeah, but he, he played 60% of game time, but he was absolutely around the ball for almost every second he was on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, people went, oh, no, he's underdone. Of course he was underdone. He's been in a moon boot for four weeks. And that's like, why he only did 60% weeks. of the game. Well, that's he's, he's still got two weeks from that yeah. game to round one. So I, I'm, I'm confused, mate, because people are jumping off Zach Merritt like he's got the plague. Yet, I mean, surely he's priced and his history tells us that he's ready to go big. Yeah. So what's changed? Yep. What's changed with Zach Merritt before JLT started? We all knew he was in a moon boot, okay? Now, Shield's still there, who's going to attract the number one tag this absolutely. year. The new rules have absolutely shown us in the JLT that congestion's gone to an all-time low. Hmm. And players that can find space like Side Bottom and Zach Merritt, believe it or not, should have an absolute field day with all this space out on the wings and everything. Yeah. What has changed? I'm confused. It's one of those most fascinating things amongst the fantasy football community where we, we judge sometimes wrongly or, or overvalue things that don't really matter um, all that much. And as we've seen, these massive reactions to guys that go big, as you've talked about, well, I've got to go get them, and guys that have similar capabilities of scoring equally as well. We fall away a bit at the start of the preseason games. You're right. Zach Merritt's ownership prior to his injury, you know, he would have been up around that 15, 20, 25% ownership across formats. Now he's struggling to crack the 10, 15% ownership across the formats. And do you, a question for you before we get on to some actual players that have kind of caught your attention. Do you ever look to pivot away from a guy that's got big ownership now, like a Cornelio, like a Brayshaw. You know they're going to be there and thereabouts in Dream Team and Fantasy. Um, do you ever then go, oh, look, maybe I'll upgrade to this guy and, and try to take him on because he's so much more popular and pick the more unique option? Is that a viable and a valid thought process or is that, again, getting too cute? I definitely do. Yeah. I, I'm 100% mm. behind this. If I see any risk in a guy... And he's got massive ownership. I love taking him on. I'm taking on Isaac Heaney. I'm taking on Rory Laird. I'm taking on Brody Grundy. I'm going to take on Sam Walsh. Mm. Sam Walsh is 60% ownership in some of these comps. 60% for a rookie. So when you say take on, what you're really saying is, I'm going to find a guy that's in a comparable price... Um, range, but I think he's going to match, if not maybe outscore fractionally this higher owned player. That's nah, what you mean? See, no, not outscore when it comes to a rookie. Sure. I'm going to find a guy priced 100,000 points less that's going to make as much money as that other guy. Yes. 
Okay, yeah. now outscoring's wrong because I'm going to spend that hundred thousand on another premium, and I'm going to get a much better score out of them, or I'm going to strengthen another line with those hundred thousands. So I'm already making that score back up. If who's going to score more, um, average more out of Sam Walsh to let's say Michael Gibbons? In my opinion, Sam Walsh will outscore Gibbons by twenty points. Yeah, sure. Radio Gibbons has got a terrible role. Sam Walsh is a stud. Yes. We all know that. But the thing is, there's 120,000 reasons why Gibbons is probably going to make as much money as what Walsh does. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And that's that's a really, just to uh, flow on from that point. So um, we posted on the coaches panel. I think uh, players owned in under ten uh, player in your team are owned by under ten percent of the competition. Is mm. that right, MJ? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So another way of yeah. looking at it, yeah, another way of looking at it is who don't you own? Something that I've done personally is who don't you own that's in over thirty percent of teams. Mm. Um, so you don't necessarily have to be unique in picking someone for the sake of being unique. You don't have to go out there and find the guy who's in one percent of teams right now, but. You do need to be deciding who is who is the type of guy that I think is has a higher expected ownership than what he merits, because that that's a big way to get up on the competition. You don't necessarily have to pick the the rising star. You don't have to pick the guy who comes from nowhere because those are very hard hard to select. We all know that mid prices historically teams that are go that go mid price heavy traditionally don't do very well. Not to say they won't do that well this year, but they traditionally don't do very well. So I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily steer someone down the route of trying to nail every single mid price. But what I would say is pick and choose your battles. You know, if you mm. you see someone like Angus Brayshaw that's gone up by whatever percent he's gone up by, and you think that look, I don't believe that um, the preseason correlates at all to the regular season. And I think that Brayshaw is a good player that's possibly one more head knock away from, you know, being out for a very sustained period of time. Well, I'd say, well, look, he might be in a quarter percent of teams, but I, I might be able to find an Adam Trelaw who's around that price or with a slightly lower ownership who I've got very high confidence is going to play out the whole season and might have just as much upside as well. Um, you know, and he still had an okay preseason as well. You know, yeah. you, you can throw it through different, many very like different ways of looking at it, but that ownership thing is a huge, a huge one, and po- possibly actually a really good poster later on this week. Uh, yeah, some, and there's, there's a guy okay that really emphasises Ben's point, and that's Devin Smith in Dream Team. Yeah. Okay, I haven't had Devin Smith once in any of my teams. Okay, not because I don't think he could play. I I just think there's reasons to take that risk on yes. you know challenging him. So, but he's in twenty six percent of teams. Gosh. 26%. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong, okay, because like we're, we're trying to preempt here. Yeah, sure. But I'm saying I'm happy to take Devin Smith on before I even knew there was 26%. Mm. I'm even more happy now that there's 26% ownership. So I'm happy to go unique by not picking him. So talk to me then about, uh, say, using a Devin Smith, a Rory Laird, and Isaac Heaney, some of these names that we've used. And again, Devin's probably more dream team and fantasy relevant. Still got some relevance in Supercoach, but certainly more so in, in that format. 
What's the difference between taking on a player like that as opposed to taking on a player like Patrick Dangerfield? I know, Riz, this is something we talked about in the 50 most relevant, specifically yep. about Dangerfield. What's some of the difference of mindset there? Because some could go, oh, I'll take on Dangerfield because he's the highest own forward. What's the, the faulty logic in that? I, I usually look at what they averaged last year and have they been close to that previously. Right. Okay, now with Devin Smith, it's a little bit harder to read because he was he went to a new club and he averaged his career best, you know. I mean, he's priced at 762000 in Dream Team for a reason. He was that good last year. Mm. But what people forget, okay, was two years ago, he only played a few games for GWS. Mm. You know, he was out injury. He's, they, people called him injury prone. Yeah. And believe it or not, Toby Green was, you know... It was the reverse. A lot more yeah. money. Yeah, it was like in reverse. Like people were jumping on Toby Green all the time at a higher price. Now people seem to be looking at the price and going, ah, oh, well, I've got the money, I'll spend it. But you don't need to spend the money, mate. So for me, okay, the, the alarm bells for Devin Smith this year is A, he tore, he partially tore his biceps, okay, going back uh, January, mid January. Yeah, six it? weeks, yeah, something like that. Okay. I don't care how he played in the JLT for a fact. Okay. That's, that's a start. I don't care. He played, so that means he's all right. But the problem I have is he's partially torn his biceps. What do you use when you tackle? Normally your um, arms. Yeah. So is he likely to have 10 tackles a game like he did last year where he got all that extra points and everything else when there's less congestion, there's potential for less mid-minutes, with Dylan Shield coming in, with Zach Merritt, you know, not missing early games mm. and stuff like that. Um, guys like Kyle Langford, Andrew McGrath's been moved into the midfield. You know, I could go on and yeah, on sure. with that sort of stuff. Like, is there potential, like, for him to make all those points? Plus, he's come out in the media quite a lot saying that he still sees himself as a forward that goes into the midfield. Yeah. He's very handy around goals. Like, we all know that. He kicks goals all the time. Yeah, exactly. Let's look yeah. at Isaac Heaney, okay, MJ. What reason would I be looking at taking on Isaac Heaney? Well, the fact that Buddy Franklin's potentially going to miss a few early games mm. and Sydney need to kick goals. Yeah. Who's their second most reliable, best option up forward? Like, it's either Luke Parker or it's Isaac Heaney. Yeah. Like... You know, these are the reasons yeah. why I'm willing to take people on early. But as opposed to, say, a Patrick Dangerfield, who you can't take on? Well, Patrick Dangerfield's well, done it year after year after year, and he's yeah. come out and said that he's going to play more midfield. Yeah. Plus, yeah. Nathan Fife comes out yesterday, last night on the 360, and says, I think it's the new rules suit guys like me, Dangerfield, Dusty Martin, because we're going to have a lot more time in the centre square. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't ignore that. Yeah. Mm. And you, you add to that point as well. So with Dangerfield, he went at 117, 2016 in Dream Team, 130 Supercoach, 120 Dream Team, 2017, 136 Supercoach. And then he drops by 410 in Dream Team, 15 in Supercoach. So, and on top of that, he had a sore back and a, a bit of an ankle injury, I believe, from the majority of the season. Yeah, and he came so off a got, hamstring to start the year. Absolutely, yeah. So we've got we've got quite a few really reasonable reasons as to why he might have dropped. 
on top of that, because of because of those issues, he played a lot of time forward. Mm. Um, now they're throwing Gary Ablett forward this year, so I think that that time is likely to, if if anything, it's likely to decrease. Maybe it stays the same. Maybe it decreases. But I think the one guy that we're really overlooking here, um, I'm surprised he hasn't come up in the discussion, is Brody Grundy. Yeah. So he he averaged 120 in Dream Team last year, MJ. Um, this guy, this guy had a career best season in fantasy by, get this, so 14 points in Dream Team from 2017 and 33 points in Supercoach. It's huge. And it, MJ, how has his preseason been this year? Interrupted. Interrupted. Interrupted to say the least. And MJ, how, what is his ownership percentage in Dream Team at the moment? ridiculous it's high across every single format like very high in every single format he he's in every second team in real dream team and i would be shocked if it's anything different in Supercoach and afl fantasy at the moment you know this is the type of guy that i look at and i'm like i'm going to be i'm very very interested in taking him on um now, obviously, this is a very odd year with the Rocks because there there are very limited options that we might feel uh, interested in, uh, especially given the fact that the rule changes, I'm predicting are likely to see a drop in Rock output. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got we got a couple of issues, but I look at Brody Grundy and I'm like, best case scenario, he's still dropping a fair bit and he's, he's had a tough, preseason mm. um he's in 50 percent of teams me not owning Brody grundy is a huge is a huge um a huge unique selection that's that's a massive unique selection so i can say look i don't own anyone under 10 percent. i'm not actually sure if I, if I do or not but i don't own Bro- Brody grundy um you can definitely look at it a few a few ways but if you want to talk about guys that um are possibly overowned at the moment. I mm. think Brody Gundy has to be very much at the top of that list. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. Let's talk about Ruck. So we'll come back to some of the JLT stuff. Now Now we're here talking about the Ruckman and specifically about Brody Grundy. In, in Dream Team, Supercoach and AFL Fantasy, every single one of those formats require a different strategy. You can't, even though Fantasy and Dream Team are the same scoring, you can't treat those games the same way. If you do that, you're going to fail at one of them or quite possibly fail at both. Um what do we look at doing here? Because you can right, you can build question marks about Brody Grundy's preseason with that um, toe injury, uh, the fact that there should be a drop away um, as marginal or as large as you think it is because of the ruck rule changes, the amount of congestion we aren't seeing in the game that should indicate for Ruckman maybe a slight drop away, a bit different maybe in Super Coach with you know hitouts to advantage still being there, sure, but. What do we do if we aren't looking at a Brody Grundy? It seems to be Max Gorn's pretty much got Ruck 1 sold away now. Bruce probably won't get into the side, barring something drastically changing in the Melbourne structure. Do we just lock those two in and just go, oh, look, I know I could get them 100, 150 grand cheaper, but stuff it? Or do we look at these value options later and maybe have to use a trade? What do we suggest or encourage people to do with their Rucks this year? So I touched on this last pod. I think you take one on. Right. Okay. There's just too much money otherwise in a, a position where there's two guys on the ground. So even if they dominate, you're only looking at 250 points a week. Mm. 
there's not enough room, you know what I mean? There's not enough... Having said that, though, somewhere like Supercoaches I highlighted the last time, hmm. 500 points between second and third for the year. That's a lot you know, of points. that's massive. That's, that's a, lot, a of lot of points. But you've got to, you've got to, got to, got to take one on, I think. And do you think Grundy's the similar... It sounds like Ben thinks he is. Do you think Grundy's the one to take on more than Max Gorn? I've always said he was. Yeah. So, like, I mean, the thing is, okay, I was a little bit worried early days when Proust was... I didn't understand the Proust trade. No one does. I I still don't understand that. Um, But the thing is, okay, I was a little bit concerned because there was a lot of positive talk about playing two of them. But now that Tom McDonald's back in the fold and I see Sam Wiedemann's done pretty Mm. well through the preseason, they've got a couple of guys like they're trying um, young Smith up forward. And actually, I think he kicked seven goals. Yeah, he looks good. For the GLT. Yeah, he looked good. So he hasn't done terrible to drop out of the team. So he's actually consolidated his spot. So I don't see any need for Bruce, which means I'm now more comfortable with Gorn being ruck one. Mm. Now, I still thought Gorn was going to average 100 plus, but the thing was, I didn't think he could have that same ceiling with Bruce in the team. Yeah. Now... I'm thinking to myself, well, Grundy's got to be the guy that you have to have take on. He had turf toe only six weeks ago. We know what happened to Sanderlands with turf toe. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm so confused. Like, he, he, his training was totally interrupted. Like, and he did come back and play that game, you know, the JFT game the other week. Mm. And he looked good. He moved well and everything else. But there's got to be question marks, you know. On top of that, he also relies on tackling and a lot of ball-ups and stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't think we're going to see as much congestion as what we did last year. So I agree with Ben. I think all rucks actually drop because there's not going to be the hit-outs. So let's throw some Ruckman out there then, because I, I, I agree as well. Let's throw some Ruckman names out there. I'm keen to get your thoughts. And again, it's different formats, different prices, different... I, I get all that. But some names that catches... Whether or not they're viable options to look at as a R2, assuming they're going for Max Gorn at number one. Justin Westhoff? Uh, no. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. Great. Okay. Just, just wanted to throw that out there. Stefan Martin. Great. Maybe. Maybe. Jared Witts. Yes. Supercoach, yes, or everywhere, yes? Everywhere, yes. Okay. He, he has an amazing first four weeks for Ruckman. He has an extraordinarily first uh, month. He does. Todd- and the other thing is, okay, he's got a round, 15, uh, round 14 buy, which means you could then upgrade to Grundy. And I use the term upgrade yes. loosely. Yes. Because at the moment I'm trying to predict the future. So you go wits to Grundy after round 13. And suddenly what happens there is you're playing pretty much right through the whole season with that ruck. Yeah, fair enough. I won't go through every other ruckman, but I'll, I'll pick and choose maybe another handful of names that coaches could look at. Todd Goldstein. Great. Well, yeah, but I, I wouldn't. Okay, yeah, but uh, Nankervis. No. Uh, not at this stage. Not at this stage. Uh, Can't do it either. Yeah. All right. Sam Jacobs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like there's a was there a caveated yes there, Rids, or was that a just a hesitant yes? Well, because Sam Jacobs is priced his lowest 
price like his starting point in the last decade. Like, yeah. He's got yeah. history of going 90, 90, 90, 90, 90, then suddenly a year he, after averaging 99 in Dream Team and AFL Fantasy, he averages 80. Yeah. So and he had, he had huge back issues last year as well. And he's, he's yeah, had a so, flying pre-season. You know, fitness-wise, round by suit, um, he makes, what is he, 250000 cheaper in Dream Team. Like, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then the last name I'll, I'll throw out, uh, especially with uh, the news that uh, Patrick Ride is going to miss at least some part of the year, Scott Lysette. Why is Patrick... I heard that Paddy Ride is going to play round one. Okay, well, there you go. Apparently he's missing So, so apparently 5AA or whatever they called over in Adelaide said that um, he's playing round one. Okay, well, assume he isn't playing round one. Do you go after Lysette? I like Lysette. Okay. Different if it's, um, if he's. Playing. It would have to be how long Ryder's out for. Sure. Yeah. And also on top of that, his buy round doesn't suit for that upgrade through the buys. It's true. Can I just also point out, okay, going Gordon Grundy and even Stefan, they've all got the same buy round. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to lock in popular guys like Heaney, Dangerfield, Lloyd, Tim Kelly, um, and so on and so forth, Trelaw, um, you're going to have a lot of troubles come round 13. What do you do when you get start getting to that point of the buy rounds? Because, you know, from a round 12 perspective, it's Essendon, Port, Fremantle, St Kilda, Hawthorne and the Western Bulldogs. That's our first of the bunch of three. Round 13 is that round you alluded to of Brisbane, Collingwood, Geelong, Melbourne, Sydney, West Coast, and then round 14, the final one, Adelaide, Gold Coast, Carlton, North Melbourne, GWS and Richmond. You don't sacrifice, sorry. So, MJ, you've got 22 spots on the ground, yes, Radio. You do. Two of them are playing rucks. You've got the two most expensive rucks, which means you've got a throwaway third ruck. Yes. Correct? Uh, yes. So, if you've got two guys off not playing one position for that round, that means you've got to find 18 out of a possible 20. Correct. And you're already going to be losing Heaney, Dangerfield, Lloyd, Witherden, um, Brayshaw. Tim Kelly, more. Sam Menegola, Yo. Oh, well, yeah. We can keep going. It, that's going to be the round that trips people up, isn't it? Well, if you don't plan, then, like, I mean, hope so. But but that is the one, isn't it? That That's the one that across all of the lines, you've got more premium relevant players in every single line, in contrast to the others probably. That would be the one that's going to trip people up. Because well, you look at... There's a lot of stupid people out there. So Yeah, I know, but like, people I mean, don't do that. They just go, I want Patrick Dangerfield. I, I want Menegola. I want Heaney. I, I, Tim Kelly is you know, playing in the gut, so I, I'm going to go get him. And so all of a sudden, they've gone and got four premium forwards. They've gone and got Grundy and Gorn or Martin combination. They've gone and got Witherden and gone and locked themselves in Lloyd. And now all of a sudden, there is no possible way to field 18 during that one week. And I know you don't sacrifice your side just for one week, but gosh, it's got to be a factor, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Like, yeah. so, I, yeah. yeah. Easy question play. there, MJ. Yeah, I, I, I if, you want to, if you want to play round 13 and score 1,300 points, go ahead and grab them. Well, I suppose so. That's true, isn't it? At the end of the day, it's only going to make my job easier to beat you. That's yeah, true. 
That's true. Hey, before we come back and, and, and chat about some mid-price guys, because I appreciated some of your thoughts there about Rux, I feel like I want to come back to some of the JLT Community Series conversation, not so much about other things you observed, because I felt like I, I, I learned plenty from the conversation there, but were there any players that caught your eye a little bit? Not saying guys that you're like, oh, I saw them play, therefore I'm going to go pick them, but you saw something about them to go, oh, yeah, there's something there about these players that could change my mind around them or go, oh, there's a role readjustment that is going to be beneficial for me or for something else. Uh, Who are a couple of players, Ben, that that kind of caught your eye over the JLT series that uh, you just want to spend a little bit of time talking about? Are we allowed to talk about rookies, MJ? You can talk about whoever the hell you like. All right, all right. One one guy I really like was Bailey Scott, obviously. So he he was just a terrific runner for the the Kangaroos across both games, across the wing. Father son. Um, yeah, no, he's a he's a he's a really solid type, and he's someone that has come into the team right when North Melbourne, I think, might be looking to sort of change their style a little bit. I think that yeah. the the rule changes they're they're a team that's really adapted their their game style in line with the rule changes, and he he just suits the you know the wide expanses that the game now has. Um, I'll give you I'll give you one that's a little bit less of an obvious rookie selection though is um, Travis Boak. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah, he's um, played forward. He he actually had I think twenty four percent of his touches were inside the forward fifty last year, which was the highest he's um, he's ever had in his career. He was certainly mm. a full time forward. In fact, he's he doesn't even have midfield eligi- um, eligibility this year. But he looks like he's going straight into that forward line. It looks like Brad uh, into the midfield. Sorry, it looks like Brad Ebert's going um, the other way, and there's going to be a few players sort of rolling through that forward line. So, Boak is is a guy that is a real leader in the mid- midfield. He's never scored hugely, but he, he looks pretty likely to to go ninety plus. He's been very durable throughout his career, and he, he looks like a fairly simple pick that's um, not necessarily in everyone's team, so he's an interesting guy to look at. Alright, Rids, you got a couple of players that kind of caught your eye throughout the JLT series? So we're going to have to talk about Tom Rockliffe, aren't we? Let's talk about Tom. Right, so 40 disposals. He scored 180-odd points or something? Is that yeah, right? depending on the format you play, yeah, there and thereabouts. Okay, so again, we go in. If you haven't thought about him, okay, what are the reasons why you haven't contemplated him in the first instance? A, his shoulders looked a bit bunged last year. B, the midfield looks very deep. You know, there's question marks whether Rockliffe and Wine can play in the same team. C, uh, he just doesn't quite fit in. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. last year, he just didn't quite fit in. So then we look at this JLT game that's made him very, very popular again. And I'm not discounting the history. I actually raised an eyebrow as well. went, oh, geez, he looks like he's back to his, you know, yeah, yeah. very much drunk days. of. But Port Adelaide didn't look like winning. Like, you know, they, they didn't, they were very ordinary at times. There was no Ollie Wines there. Um, sorry, give me a sec. I just got to little bit of a sneeze coming on, believe no, it or not. No, I, I think, you know, you're talking about that game, and you know, why you kind of, uh, you know, de-sneeze yourself, and you're talking about some of the key stats in that game. You know, Rockliffe had 16 marks, Houston had 12, Watts had 12, Boak had 11, Dersma had 11, Westhoff had 10 marks, 
you, I know it's not exactly what you're pointing to out right now, but but it is a very different type of game on what we saw JLT two from Tom than what we saw from Tom in JLT one. Correct. There's no winds. He's made one tackle. Yeah. Now Tom Rockliffe yeah. of old was making ten, fifteen tackles a game. You know, when he went massive. So I mean, I think there's enough questions there, like not answered, but. But it comes down to risk versus reward. He's never been priced this low across the formats before yeah. to start with. So is he going to average 80 again? Oh, well, I'd say it's highly unlikely. It's more likely to go 90s, 90 plus, 100 plus. Like, so, I mean, there is a lot of reward there. There's not much risk. So I can see why people are jumping on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I again, totally agree. Not, they, should have, they should have already been interested in him before the JLT came around. So are you saying if someone is prior to JLT starting had discounted Tom Rockliffe in their side, they should not be considering him now? No, you've got to always be flexible and everything else, but you've got to have sound reasons to yes. do so. If the reasons why you weren't picking him in the first instance are still there, yeah, and none of them have been crossed off the list, and I'm talking about wines, I'm talking about no tackles, he had a massive bandage on his shoulder still... Like, isn't that enough? Yeah. Like, like, so the reasons are still there for why he didn't pick him. Just because of one practice game where he dominated, it shouldn't sway you. Is that similar to say something like a, a Brad Crouch where people had the concerns over his injury history? I don't know, Ben, it's something you've written about at coachespanel.tv before. These players that are coming into a season at a discounted price that have an injury history, you're very much of the opinion of you either start them or don't worry about getting them because the injury risk doesn't decrease with every fit game they play. Yeah, that's that's it. But I think um, just just something I want to highlight on him. Like, obviously, he's, he's very injury-prone, so you want to be starting with him, as you're, you're alluding to. But over the past two years, this is actually the most logical time to ever select Tom Rockley from the start of the season. Yeah. Um, so we, we've had a lot of discussions. In fact, most, most people on the coaches panel have chatted about Tom Rockliffe and we've looked at him and we've been predicting his downfall because he was, he's never been a great user of the ball. Um, he's never been a great defensive runner. He was on a team that was crying out for more youth to come through that midfield and for there to be less, less dependence on one player. And Eventually, we saw it. So he, he sort of slowed down towards the end of his Brisbane career. He comes to Port Adelaide. He struggles in his first season to find the right role, and he struggles with a little bit of injury as well. But now we're presented with an opportunity. He's priced at 83. This is the most interesting time to be looking at Tom Rockliffe over the past few years. Yeah. People have got to start viewing it that way, that we're now presented. Try and like disassociate yourself from the last 12 months and try and see the potential value there. Over the, over the past, over his career, he's averaged 103 in Dream Team and 101 in Supercoach. If he, if he hits a career average, you know, you've done exceptionally well out of that deal. So um, it's a, look, he, he's not someone that's personally in my team and I, I wasn't super um, drawn to his game on the weekend. I think there's enough reasons to say that that's, um, a very odd and unlikely score, especially given the discussion we had earlier in the pod about JLT being meaningless. But he is someone that right now, at his current price, has to be very much of interest to you if he was 12 months prior. Yeah. It's a and just a quick it. one on Brad Crouch. Yeah. 
So with Brad Crouch, okay, all I'm looking for is that he looks fit, yeah. that he's playing practice games, and that he can still has a bit of touch about him. Mm. And he answered all those questions. So I wouldn't have selected Brad Crouch before the JLT because of the reasons that he was injury prone. Sure. That we heard that he may have had a little bit of a hiccup here and there through the preseason. Okay. And that he may he has been out of football for over eighteen months. Yeah. So he might he might not have a bit of touch about him. So straight away, those question marks have been answered from those JLT games. That's why you're selecting Brad Crouch now. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, Because the questions yep. you had prior have now been answered. But if they still remain... You can't do it. Cross them off. You can't do it. Yeah. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Again, because sometimes we just we don't think it through as clearly and as logically as sometimes we should. We we see a score and we go crazy for it. We see a guy go well, and we go crazy for it, and we and we don't tick those boxes off. Was there any other players that kind of caught your eye that we you want to talk about before we we talk mid prices and get to our Patreon questions? Any other players you wanted to highlight? Uh, well, just a couple of rookies. Jordan Clark looked very very much at home for yeah. Geelong. Um, I think Chris Scott came out on SEN this morning and said that he's pretty much guaranteed a spot. Yeah. Um, Zach Butters looked very good. really good. Very good kid. And mm. obviously Sam Walsh looked very, very, very good. 100%. Now, he yeah. probably looked too good, unfortunately, and he may very well attract the tag in a very thin midfield of Carlton. Yeah. So I think just be a bit hesitant with him. Just, just watch a bit. Because he may attract the tag very quickly, this kid. He is that good. Yeah, what a crazy thing, hey, that, you know, an early player in his career can get a tag. I know Mark Murphy got similar in his career where it was like, well, there's nobody else to tag, so let's go get him. Brent definitely got a tag in his first season. Yeah, he did. It's not the first time this has happened. Um, But this is the first time. And you know what I said last time? Like, I think this guy's as good as... Yeah, fantastic player. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's priced at 250000 and that money cash generation does get absolutely screwed if you score a 40 or 50. Yeah, especially in the, 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 well, in all formats, it kind of screws you over when you're paying that premium for them. No question marks about it. Uh, for reference point, Carlton open up their season in just a couple of days' time against Richmond, then their take on Port Adelaide, Sydney, Gold Coast, the Western Bulldogs, and, Hawthorne, and North Melbourne in the first seven. And. Just quick one on that draw, okay, because I was highlighting this to a friend of mine this morning. Port Adelaide have got three guys in contention for the Rising Star. So don't be surprised if they do try and shut down Walsh in that game. Mm. You've got Sydney, okay, who have got Harry Cunningham and George Hewitt, who do run with guys. Yes, they do. And mm. the next game with Gold Coast, I don't see Tuke Miller being suited to a Paddy Cripp. No, gosh, no. So the next one in line is? Young Walsh. So again, there is a possibility for that happening. Sure. I'm not just I'm not just throwing it out there to scare people no, off. No, no, no. I'm actually throwing it out there because I've done a little bit of looking. All right, no, fair enough. Too. Look, he's going to be a very good player. I, I think some of those rookies, you're right, are, are excellent options to look at, and, and that's what makes me curious. And I'm keen to get your guys' thoughts. It, it feels like it's probably the year of the mid pricer. Um, uh, across every single format, there is so much incredible value. Um, with players like ridiculous value, and normally, it's a it's a trap. 
historically it's a trap. I know you've got to go back a couple of years where you had guys like, you know, Waters and Grimes, you know, in the defensive line that were mid-prices that scored like premiums. I know there's normally every year one, two, three mid-prices that, you know, really become, you know, premiums or there and thereabouts. But you can look through every single line and there is just value everywhere. Last year we had Brayshaw, we had Coniglio, we had Devin Smith. Yep. We had plenty last year. Had as plenty well. last year as we well. We had Max Gorn. Yep. Yeah. But it feels like there's more this year. Last year. We did. We did. It feels like there's more this year, though, rightly or wrongly. Maybe that's just perception rather than reality. Is there a place we can go to as a fantasy coach where we go too far? And maybe it's more Dream Team and Super Coach relevant with AFL Fantasy with the two trades a week and the ability to be nimble and the cash generation changing every week. You could need to be certainly different. So maybe it's more of a Dream Team and a Super Coach posed question than AFL Fantasy. Is there a place where you're going too far with your mid prices? If you've got two or three in a line, is that getting too far gone? Or is just two or three in your side totally the peak you can reach? Is I guess the question for both you is, how far is too far with mid-prices this year? I think 15. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, yeah. 15 is yeah. too far because you're still going to need to have a downgrade to upgrade. Right. So 15 is too much. Yeah. You don't, you don't want closed rules on these things, though. You don't. Look, if there, if there were six, if Jake Lloyd was priced at 300k, I would get six Jake Lloyds in defense yeah. because that would be the most logical thing to do, right? Yeah. So I, I don't want to, I don't think that it's wise to say there's two's the right number. I don't think it's wise to say three. I, at the end of the day, we're, we're looking at trying to get the most value out of it. So it comes down to your own individual confidence. Now, risk reward is sort of more, more the discussion point here. What's, what is the type of risk that you are willing to get? And is that risk will, is that risk going to actually amount to a, a reward that you sort of see fit? And so the, the way that I would conceptualize something like that is if I'm selecting Andrew McGrath um, and we're considering him to be a mid-pricer, which is possibly sure. a bit questionable, but... No, that's fair. I, yeah, my reward is that I expect him to be a keeper. I expect him to probably average about 85 to 90 points, probably... Really, I want him to be hitting 90. Um, so with someone like that, if he goes at 80 points to me, the, the risk was not worth the reward. Um, now, if I have a really high confidence that he's going to hit the points that I want him to hit or I, or I believe that he can hit, well, then load up with your Andrew McGrath types. Lo- load up with your James Warpole, your Tom Liberatore, or your Anthony Miles, or X, Y, Z. Um, but... You've got to you've got to recognise that that's a high risk. You've also got to recognise that historically, mid price dominance hasn't actually translated into a high ranking. Mm. Um, doesn't mean that it's not going to occur this this year. And you can the absolute best team to pick at the start of the, the year. If you if you go back historically, if you retrospectively you've seen the whole season play out and then you're like okay which is the team that i would have picked round one you'll find there's usually a heap of mid prices in that team yeah the only issue is that it's extraordinarily difficult to pick those accurately and it can be a heap of different permutations that happen throughout the season yeah. whether it be a role change that occurs in round four or you might even see brayshaw just um 
suddenly starts playing in the midfield, suddenly gets a few games of confidence and, you know, he's, he scores skyrocket. We yeah. couldn't have predicted that in the preseason. So it's all of these different elements, which is why it makes it really difficult to, to pick mid-prices accurately in the preseason. However, if you feel confident, I certainly don't say shy away from it because it can be one of the most exciting elements of the game. So I've usually got a rule. And the rule is I pick one or two of the best players per position who I think are going to be the top average in players per position. Sure. Okay. So let's just say in the midfield, we'll go McRae and Coniglio, okay? Just sure. for argument's sake. What I then try and do is I load up on the rookies. So I try and find the position with the best rookies. And then I make the best fit from there. Sure. So six players went 90 or better that are defence eligible for this year. Okay, last year I'm talking about. In, in Dream Team in fantasy. fantasy. Yeah. Yep. So if I can find a guy half the price who I think is going to score 80 to 85, even you know around that ballpark, I'm happy to lose 100 points for the season mm. on a guy double the price that's going to outscore him by five points. Yeah. Okay. Radio. See if I can make those points up elsewhere. With the and this cash, is what yeah. we were talking about before. Sam Jacobs, let's talk Sam Jacobs to Brody Grundy, okay? $250,000 difference in Dream Team. How much Sam Jacobs usually goes 90 95 year in, year out? He had a shocker last year. Yeah, yeah, 95. Let's say he goes 95 sure. this year. Okay. And we talk Grundy. Let's say Grundy goes 110. Yeah, sure. Okay? That's only 15 points difference for the first 10 rounds. Mm. That's 150 points. Like, And who's Grundy might miss a game? Suspension or whatever, you know, injury or whatever else. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. So just set and forget doesn't make sense to me right? in regards to rucks and other positions like... You need to have flexible mindsets. If you start eight premium midfielders, okay, to start with, and I've seen people do it, mm. radio, be flexible if you've missed a mid-rookie that's averaging 70 and everyone else on your rookies in your defence and forwards are going to 50. Yeah. Just be flexible and use DPP and go to a premium forward to get that guy in the field. Yeah, uh, exactly right. But this year could be the year of the mid-pricer. I, I, I think so, mm. and I think you're right. I think 15 is the limit because you, you do need to, when you've got these mid-prices, you do have to have that caveat of, I need to be prepared as much as you hope and pray and believe that maybe they're going to turn into premiums, rightly or wrongly. You've got to be prepared to make the trade and have that in your preparation. If not, that's when you back yourself into a corner and find yourself losing points week in, week out when you get stuck with a mid-pricer that yeah. is good but not landing as a premium. And I, want to, I want to just touch on one of my pet hates here, Rodeo. It's good to have an option B. Sure. The option B, though, is trade that player to someone else. Yes. Do not have a specific player in mind for option B because you need to be flexible and you need to be versatile through this season. Yeah. No one would have predicted Brayshaw at that point in time to go nuts. Nah, no one would have predicted Liam Picken a few years ago. Nah. Be flexible. Mm. Go to the guy that's in form, that's doing Dunkley the right thing. by the end of last year. Whatever it is, yep. you've got to be flexible because that's where you're going to make up the most points. 
You need to jump on these guys when they're having their runs. And that's the point, isn't it? Because we've seen it time and time again, you know, and we wrote an article recently at coachespanel.tv about this, that you can start the same identical side as a fantasy football expert. You can start the exact same side to any of us here at the panel or, or someone that's won a format before and your end of year results will look drastically different because it's the moves you make post round one and your ability to correctly interpret trade pick the timing make those moves that you're talking about that's what's going to win you the car that's what's going to win you your league that's what's going to win you the price and as important as your starting squad is it's it's what you do after round one that counts you've got to pull that trigger don't be scared if your gut says pull that trigger pull it people are going to tell you to conserve to trust in premiums that's a load of hogwash, you know. <laughs> if you if you're yep. tired of watching someone on TV and you're sick of them sticking it up, make that trade. Yeah, you've got those fix-up trades for a reason. Absolutely. Yep. There's yeah, and make. that's a that's a really important point though. You don't you can make the wrong decision from round one with the most with the highest price player in the league or whatever. You can still win the game from that position. So don't don't get stuck with someone because you believe that they're going to turn it around. Sometimes you have to cut quickly and move quickly. And that can be the greatest decision that you will make in your fantasy season. So right. just be Correct. really, really aware. Um, I can see a situation playing out this season where you've got Brody Grundy and Max Gorn and Grundy's not doing so well or Gorn's not doing so well. And um, people will stick fat with them because they remember what Grundy mm. and Gorn did last year. But, Potentially, someone like a you know the the Essendon rookie comes out, Zach Clark comes yeah. out. Maybe it's just a case you just drop him down, and you and it's just a three week play, and you just make a couple of hundred thousand dollars, and you go back and you get Grundy in a, in a few weeks' time, or yeah. uh, whatever happens. But the the ability to be able to move those trades and be willing to to do things that you wouldn't have thought possible even two weeks prior, um, that's a really smart way to be playing the game. It, and you know what happens, do don't you? If 50% of teams are on Grundy okay, and you don't have him, and Grundy gets knocked out in the second week and his price plummets to 300000 okay, and bottoms out, 100% of teams are going to get him at that bottom price. Mm. Mm. No good holding him. Get rid of him. Make the money and then turn a positive, like a negative into a positive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That is, that is for sure. Uh, don't forget that for 2019, the Coaches Panel Coach of the Year Award is back. It is the Nobel Coel. All you need to do is go to coachespanel.tv. The links are all there for how you can join the open groups for Dream Team and Super Coach, the Open League for AFL Fantasy. The top three scorers every single week for all of those formats. You are going to get yourself some points. And at the end of the year, it is tallied up across all the formats and you will become our 2019 Coach of the Year. Uh, that is the Nobel Coel. It is free for anyone to enter. But if you join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash coaches panel, there is a special cash opportunity of our Nobel Coel there where you can win 100 bucks uh, for every single format. You can join at any tier level you like and you'll get the league codes for that by joining our Patreon. And speaking of our Patreon, uh, they've got some questions uh, for both you, Ben, and also for you, Rids. 
they're keen to get your thoughts. I'm not going to answer too many of the rookie questions because uh, later next week, in fact, early next week, around about Monday, uh, our big rookie guide podcast and article will land for Patreons only, and that will answer all of your rookie questions. So just hold fat on that one, my friends. That will answer it all. But Travis has a question. I'll throw it over to you, uh, Rids. Um, and well, he's got a couple of questions. We'll just go with one. His main question is about structure. He says, usually by now he's got a solid idea of the structure he wants. Um, but this year he still keeps changing his mind. Um, and, and the things that keep tripping him up are the rookies. And is it worth spending the extra on the expensive ones? And R2. When you find yourself stuck with a structure, what, this isn't his question, but I think it's the question beneath it. When you find yourself struck in a stuck for structure what do you do as that tiebreaker leave it overnight and then see how you feel in the morning change it to the next one leave it overnight i can tell you now and trust your gut yeah just back yourself in you know what the correct one is for you if you've got doubts that's because you don't like the other one yeah no it's fair enough Question from Stephen uh, for you, Ben. Uh, he, he'd love to get your thoughts uh, specifically on Warple in AFL Fantasy. He's got him at F4. Do you think there's some value in starting with young Hawk James Warple as a forward in AFL Fantasy? Yeah, why not? I mean, that's, that's probably all I'm going to say. But look, at the end of the day, who knows? But what you've seen in the preseason, you like what what we know he's capable of throughout his junior footy career. You know, it's it's all to like. The role's obviously available. Whether he's the one that takes it or not, we don't know yet. But look, you could do worse, and I don't think he's going to drop. So, um, best case scenario, he does have a breakout season. Mm. So I can I can certainly think of worse players you can pick at F four. It's a fair it's, chunk of cash, though, isn't it? In fantasy at F four, he's almost five hundred thousand. Yeah, is he? Yeah, it would have been his price is sixty eight, though, right? Uh, four eighty in AFL fantasy. Four eighty, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say AFL fantasy is probably the format to do it. Yeah, I don't understand mm. him in anything else, though. Yeah, no, I agree. Because um, uh, at that price, you're picking him to be a keeper, aren't you? Oh, one hundred percent. Well, yeah, in yeah. Dream Team and Supercoach has to be, yeah. And if you think that he's yeah. going to average 85 to 90... It's not like, enough. It's not enough. I, I just don't see it. No, like. it's not enough. All right, here's a question uh, for you, Rids, uh, also from him. It's a question. Libba or Cousins, which way do I go? Which format? Uh, fantasy. There's about 70,000 uh, price difference. Cousins is the cheaper one. Yeah, Cousins by miles. Like, I don't understand. Like, I think Cousins will out average Libba in DT and Fantasy. Different in Supercoach? Oh, Supercoach is different because Libba's got a proven record in yeah. the hardballs and stuff in Supercoach. But there's still 90,000 difference. The problem I have is Cousins can't kick. Yeah. So there's a fair <laughs> yep. chance he's going to unkick his way out of that team. Yeah. He could find it. He finds it plenty, and he tackles well, and but he just can't kick. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that one. Uh, last couple of questions uh, before we wrap up this podcast. Uh, Michael wants to know uh, he's uh, tr- having trouble filling up his back line. Again, he's got some rookie questions. That'll be for you, mate, because you're a Patreon. You'll get all the answers for that. Uh, but he wants to know, outside of the obvious hyped mid-prices of 
Williams, Robertson, Smith. Are there any other... He doesn't give me a format, by the way. Are there any other mid-prices that are worth looking at? Oh, please. There's one. There's 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 a a massive guy... There's Pierce Handley for a start. Yeah. And there's another guy, okay, playing for Collingwood who used to be a forward that's playing full back. Darcy Moore. Keep a look at him. There's another guy for Essendon. And this is what I don't understand. It's like people are so selective in what they look at in the JLT. There's a young kid running around for Essendon that's played plenty of midfield minutes. Just go back and watch the JLT games. His name's Jordan Ridley. Like, he's very nicely priced in across the comps. Mm. I... Yeah, so for me, are we just talking defenders? Yeah, yeah, but if you want to go any other line, go for it. Well, can I ask why all the hype is around Warpool and not Jack Higgins? Great question. Well, yeah. I, I just don't understand. Jack Higgins, is, he's just, he, he won more of the ball as a junior. He's in a better team. He's had minutes everywhere in the midfield, and plus the 666 is really going to suit a kid like that. Mm. He's a ball magnet. Like, I'm, I'm confused why. Anyways, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Toby Green. Toby Green, guys. Like, don't forget Toby Green sitting out there. Yeah. I don't know how you can forget that one. I'm so confused. Mm. Like, Toby Green at 400,000. Are you serious? Like, slap me in the head. Call me Susan. He's, hello. Like, bang. If he plays, he goes 90. Mate, he played in the JLT too. (laughs) Like, that's all he had to do. Yeah. If he plays bad, he goes at 75, 80. He's priced at 40 or 40, 50 or something. Oh, man. Do do you remember how we were talking about Toby Green only two years ago? Like, this guy was... was like the best greatest thing ever. Absolutely. Top 10 keeper leagues thought of unanimously as being one of the, the heirs to the, the, the Rockliffe throne at the tr- at the time. And we can get this guy for what I think he's priced at about 60 in Dream Team. Probably think he's a little bit higher in AFL Fantasy and probably similar in Supercoach. But he this is the time to get someone like Toby Green. Yeah. When he's underpriced, not after he's had his 95 season. Um, like, in all honesty, jump he- on. You could stick your injury-prone stuff right up where the sun don't shine for me because the fact of the matter is, if he wasn't injury, we wouldn't be getting him at that price. Correct. Yeah. Like, hello? It's time to take the risk. It's at the start of the season when you've got 30 traces. reward. Oh, I just don't understand it. Oh, he might start slow. Well, what's that? 70, 75, 80? He still goes up in value. Mm. I, I just, I'm so confused. I'm just really, really confused. Yeah, I like that. Anyway, there you go. I've had a whinge. I, 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 feel, I, feel, like I feel better already for that. Last question I, before we wrap up the episode. Go, man. No, no, no. One more whinge. One more whinge. Go on. Let it go. For all those people out there that say that they can't pick someone who doesn't play a practice game in the preseason, you're telling me you're not picking Nathan Fife in Supercoach at 600000 Come on. You're joking. I hope they don't. You're kidding yourself. I hope they don't. Like, get real. Oh, please. Please, just just, just don't don't pick him. Make it easier for me. Absolute banter. And the the other thing is, Fife Fife rarely plays JLT games, actually. He just can't be bothered. He's known to just 
Yeah, he's known to just rock oh. up round one and absolutely destroy. So, but yeah. He, he hasn't played he JLT, up. but he played AFLX. What's the yeah. difference between the two? Oh, no, can't have five. He did play JLT, but he played AFLX. So anyway. It's also, it's also not an injury that's um, limited his running or anything. Nope. Like, it's just an elbow, and it's it's an extraordinarily minor elbow because he, he had it going into the AFLX. Like, if it was anything remotely serious, they wouldn't have let him play. Not a chance. Um, even Fife has gone on record as saying, oh, you know, we, we took a bit of time off, but it's not, you know, I could have played. Like, he essentially, he was saying something along those lines. Like, yeah. if you're looking at Fife right now and you're thinking, no, I can't start him, he hasn't played any games, I think, I think you've got to review that selection. Yeah. Yeah. Like, at least have a sound reason not to pick in Lockie's stupid hair. There we go. You didn't like his AFLX team, no. Just have a reason. Whatever, it's fine. Last question, but I love when you two get into rant mode. It's my favourite coach's panel place. Uh, A last one from our Patreon, Tight Like Tiger. It's a hard one, I know, because he's not giving you players, but it's a structural question. Um, He's feeling like rookies are a little bit short in the forward line. He's thought he's starting a two-primo back line with a mid-pricer and four primo in the forward line for his super coach format. Is he right? Are we a bit short on for super coach um, forwards this year and, and rolling a bit deeper? And again, I'm not sure if that includes a Green or a Danaher or a, or a Billings, these kind of value forwards this year and super coach. But he says he's rolling for four primos. Is that a all right structure through super coach lads? Yeah, I suppose. Well, I don't understand yeah. why Darcy Moore's not at F4, though. Yeah. Maybe he's at D4? I don't know. No, well, he shouldn't be at D4. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I don't know. If you'd like the rookies in the defensive line, though, yeah. and you're happy to start with two premiums, you don't put someone at 230000 at D4 or D5 when you've got Collins, Clark, Scrimshaw, and so on and so forth, yeah. okay? You move him over to the forward line where there isn't any rookies and at 230,000, you've got a guy that can average 80, yeah. 85, 90 sitting there at your F4. So I'm confused. All right, fair enough. There you go. All right, there's some of the thoughts from the panel. Hey, Rids, appreciate your work on this episode. Uh, and I'm, t- I'm, I'm an old cranky man and I've got a little kid now. So I don't sleep much. So that's why I'm getting crankier. No, no I, I, like I said, this is my favourite kind of rids. Uh, and also, uh, Ben, as always, a pleasure, mate. No apologies from me, mate. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Uh, if you want to join the Coaches Panel Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash coaches panel and help support the great work that we hopefully are able to bring to your fantasy football season at coachespanel.tv. Plenty of articles landing right throughout the days, uh, building up to round one. And you can grab this podcast episode and all the ones thus far of the preseason via Spotify and iTunes. You are just days away now from the start of the 2019 AFL fantasy football season and my friend we cannot wait for it to get underway 